Okay, let's pray. A gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for giving us your word, the Bible. We thank you for this uh, narrative now that we're going to see about the Last Supper. We pray that you help us to understand what it means and what its significance is. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, do you know the word crucial? Crucial. Crucial. It means um, very important, doesn't it? Very important. It comes from the word crux. Crux. And again, we use that word in a similar way. We say this is the crux of the matter. This is a very important part of the matter. Now, crux is a Latin word. And uh, did you know what the Latin word uh, crux is? It's the word cross. That's right. It's the word cross. We could say that uh, this is the cross of the matter. Or uh, that thing is crossial instead of crucial. Uh, now, the words uh, crux and uh, crucial, they've come to have their meaning for a reason. You see, for Christians, the death of Jesus on the cross is very important. It's central to our faith. We believe the cross is the crux of the matter. We believe the cross is crucial. Christians believe that the death, on the, cro- the death of Jesus on the cross is central to Christianity. But you know, most people don't know what it means. They don't understand what the point of the death of Jesus is. They don't understand what its, what its significance is. Now, lots of people attempt to answer the question. Uh, some atheists say that it never happened. That it's part of the fairy tale of Jesus with which Christians have been tricked. Uh, some people say Jesus died as a criminal. Some say he died as a revolutionary. Some say he died as a martyr. Uh, some Muslims say that he didn't, he didn't die at all. He didn't die. So what does it mean? Why did Jesus die on the cross? What is it about the death of Jesus that makes Christians think it is so crucial? Of course, the best place to go for the answer is to the source, to Jesus himself. What did he think the significance of his death was? What did Jesus think that his death meant? And that's what we've got recorded for us here in Mark chapter 14. This passage about the Last Supper, it's one of the most important passages in the Bible for understanding the meaning of the death of Jesus. Because at the Last Supper, Jesus himself gave them a vivid lesson explaining what his death would mean. Well, as we turn to the story uh, in, in Mark 14, as Mark introduces the story for us, he draws attention to two things. The first thing he draws attention to, he makes clear that this, that this Last Supper is a Passover meal. He tells us four times that it's a Passover meal in the space of a couple of verses. Uh, to Mark, that fact seems to be very significant. Let's explore it then. What was the, what was the Passover meal all about? Well, the Passover meal was a meal that the Jews had been celebrating annually in the time of Jesus for already, in the time of Jesus, about 1,500 years. It dated all the way back to the time when Israel was slaves in Egypt. Uh, you probably know the story. I'll move this one forward, Mark. Sorry. <clears throat> you probably know the story. Uh, it's a Prince of Egypt story or Ten Commandments story if you're a, a movie person. Uh, there was Moses. There were the ten plagues, you remember, locusts and darkness and all that kind of stuff. And then the last plague, in the last plague, all the firstborn children in Egypt were killed. What the Israelites had to do, though, they had to sacrifice a lamb 
put the blood on the doorposts of their house. And, uh, and in every house that had the blood on the doorposts, the firstborn son survived. God's judgment, God's judgment passed over that house without killing the firstborn son, and hence the name, Passover. It's the passing over of God's judgment. Well, if you look back to the story, you'll see that that final plague was the final straw for the Egyptians. They set Israel free from their slavery and sent them on their way to the promised land. And God then told the Israelites to share a meal once a year to remember the Passover. They'd sacrifice a lamb, they'd eat bread without yeast, and, uh, and uh, as they ate the bread, they came to tell stories about Passover and its significance. They would drink wine and they would re- remember how God saved them and set them free. Right, so that's the first thing that Mark stresses as he introduces this story of the Last Supper. It's, it's a Passover meal. The second thing to notice is the detailed preparations. Jesus has gone to great lengths to make this meal happen. He's organised a room, it's all been made ready. There's a secret sign that he's organised so the disciples can know who the owner of the room is. Um, the sign is that there's a, a man carrying a water jar. You might go, what kind of a sign is that? Well, uh, carrying a water jar is women's work. I hope you're aware of that. Uh, and so uh, it's, it's unusual to see a man carrying a water jar. All right? That's why this bloke would be easy to recognise. Uh, the thing is, as you look at it, Jesus must have teed all this up in advance. Last time he was in Jerusalem or something like that, this must have been all been sorted out in advance. He has worked very hard to make this Passover meal happen. It's a little bit like, I'd say there were two things that he teed up on a previous visit. The other thing you may remember is organising the cult of the donkey. Do you remember that as he marched in? So it's two very significant things that Jesus wanted to teach. This meal is important to Jesus for some reason, and for some reason it needs to be kept secret as well with the secret signs. So Mark chapter 14 and verse 12, have a look with me. And notice the emphasis on it being a Passover meal. Notice the detailed preparations. Mark 14 and verse 12. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, Go into the city... And a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, The teacher asks, Where is my guest room? Where I I may eat the Passover with my disciples. He will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. Jesus shows up for this last meal with his disciples. Uh, He he brings the other disciples with him, but he doesn't kick off with happy news. He kicks off with very sad news. Jesus tells the disciples that one of them will betray him. Verse 17. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Now, as as Mark's readers, we already know that this is true. Mark told us at the beginning of the chapter, he told us, uh, uh, was it uh, verses 10 to 12, the religious authorities back at the beginning of the chapter, they wanted to get Jesus. They couldn't get to him because of the crowds and uh, and they needed an opportunity to get Jesus away from the crowds and then Judas says he's going to give them that opportunity. 
He'll, he'll give Jesus into their hands when the crowds are away. Well, now we see that Jesus somehow knew already that he was going to be betrayed. And I guess if you think about it, that explains the secrecy around the preparations for Passover. Uh, that meal in a room by themselves would have been a great opportunity for Judas to get the authorities to, 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 uh, to get Jesus, to arrest him. A uh, quiet time away from the crowds would have been a good time for, Jesus to, for, for Judas to hand Jesus over. But Jesus is committed to having this Passover meal happen. And he wants it to happen undisturbed. This is important to him. And so he didn't let Judas in on the preparations. He kept it secret. Judas will have to wait for another chance now. All this stuff about betraying Jesus, it makes the disciples sad. They assure him it won't happen. But Jesus says it will happen. God has planned it. The wicked traitor will do it. And he's going to regret it. Verse 19. They were saddened. And one by one they said to him, Surely not I. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go, just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It will be better for him if he had not been born. Well, with that sad introduction, we then come to the Passover meal itself. And we see, we see Jesus do something very well, amazing, really. Uh, he, he doesn't use the meal to explain the significance of, uh, of Israel's redemption from Egypt. He uses it instead to explain about his own impending death. Uh, first, Jesus takes the bread, uh, bread that would have been used for explaining about the Passover sacrifice. Uh, he says, though, this isn't the body of the Passover lamb. He says, this is my body. Now, of course, he's not saying that uh, this bread has magically transformed into his body before their eyes or any other such nonsense like that. Uh, what he is doing, he's saying, this is representing a new sacrifice. It's not about the body of the Passover lamb being sacrificed. It's about my body being sacrificed, says Jesus, in a similar way. Verse 22. While they were eating, Jesus took bread gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take it, this is my body. Jesus then takes a cup of wine, gets his disciples to drink it and then he explains what it means. He says, it's his blood of the covenant. Now a covenant is like an, an agreement which, is a, which establishes a relationship. Uh, agreements that uh, were sometimes sealed with blood. And uh, I didn't get to hear it, but uh, the first reading, hopefully everybody else heard uh, about the first covenant and it's being sealed with blood. It was a covenant by which God entered into relationship with his people. Jesus is saying that his death is the seal on a new deal, a new agreement by which God, people can be in relationship with God. Verse 23. Then he took the cup, gave thanks and offered it to them and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. And Jesus then tells, them, tells the disciples that his time is up. Um, he, he's not going to drink with them again, not until he's with God in the kingdom. Verse 25. I tell you the truth, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew with you 
in the kingdom of God. And so the meal ends. They sing a hymn. Uh, if it's the same hymn that Jews have always sung after Passover, it's a, it's a psalm. And then they head off to the Mount of Olives and to the Garden of Gethsemane, verse 26. When they'd sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now on the way, on the way off to the Mount of Olives, Jesus speaks again to the disciples and he's got more bad news. Um, he introduced the Passover with the bad news that one of them would betray him, according to the scriptures. And now he finishes it with the bad news that they will all desert him, according to the scriptures. Verse 27. You will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And again, as we read on, the disciples deny it, but uh, Jesus says it will happen. Now, we're going to look at this last section again next week, but just notice, just notice what Mark's done again. We started off the Last Supper with talk about how one of the disciples would betray him. Now we finish it with talk about how the disciples will desert Jesus. It's another sandwich technique. Uh, you've got uh, the story of the Last Supper sandwiched in between this stuff about the failure of the disciples. What's Mark doing there, do you think? Why would he sandwich the story of the Last Supper in between the story of the failure of the disciples? Well, at the very least, he's showing us that Jesus shares his last meal with traitors and with cowards. Okay. Well, as I said at the start, this is one of the most important passages in the Bible for understanding the significance of the death of Jesus. And on your outline there, you can see I've got five points. Uh, five points that this passage reveals about the significance of the death of Jesus. So, so you, you want to know what the death of Jesus is about? You want to know why he died? Well, here is what we learn from Jesus himself. First point is this. Jesus' death is central to his mission. Think about what's happening here. This is Jesus' final chance to teach his disciples. His final chance to leave a lasting legacy. And you can tell it's important to him. He's gone to so much trouble to arrange it. He's gone to so much trouble to keep the preparations secret from Judas. For Jesus, this is a vital teaching opportunity. Here it is, the last word and testimony of Jesus to his disciples here on earth before he, before he dies. What would you use it for? What would you use the last chance that you have to sit down with your family and friends to talk about? You knew it was your last chance. What would you talk about? You'd talk about something dear to your heart, wouldn't you? Talk about the, the, the most important thing to you. Well, what does Jesus teach about? Not about Christmas. Not about Santa Claus. Not about, not about his miracles and how they can heal people. Not about social work. Not about morality. Not a word about Presbyterian liturgy. He doesn't remind them about all his previous teaching. No. At this most significant occasion, Jesus teaches about his death. Here at this key point, that's what Jesus chooses. Do you see the point? Christians are right to see the death of Jesus as the centre of Christianity. Christians are right to see the cross as the crux, the cross as crucial. It was crucial to Jesus himself. 
That's the first point. The second point is this. Jesus uses a Passover meal to explain his death. Here at the Last Supper, Jesus is reinterpreting a Passover meal. He takes bread and he doesn't say, this represents the body of the Passover lamb given for you. He says, this is my body. What's he saying? Well, remember at Passover, the lamb is sacrificed so that God's judgment would pass over the people. So they'd be set free from slavery and on their way to the promised land. It's pretty neat if you think about it, isn't it? Jesus is saying that his death takes the place of the Passover lamb. He's being sacrificed so that God's judgment passes over us. We don't face God's judgment anymore. So that we are set free, not from Egypt, but from sin and death. So that we are brought to the promised land, not Canaan, but the new heaven and new earth. What's Jesus saying about his death? It will save people from God's judgment, set them free from slavery, and bring them to heaven. The third point. The third point is this. Jesus says that his death is the blood of the covenant. Now we need to go back to the Old Testament in a little bit more detail to our first reading. Way back in the days of Moses, God made a covenant with Israel. He said, Israel, here's the deal. Okay, keep my laws and I will be your God and bless you in the promised land. Israel said, we'll do it, deal. And the deal was sealed with an animal sacrifice. The animal was sacrificed and the blood was sprinkled on the people. One time we might try that in church or something like that, just to get the feeling of the blood sprinkled everywhere. More like a butcher shop than a church, really, or something like that, isn't it? But it seals the deal. Problem is, the problem is Israel didn't keep their end of the deal. They disobeyed God's law. They broke the covenant. That got them into constant trouble. But in the Old Testament, God said that he would offer a new covenant. A covenant where he would forgive their sins. A covenant where he'd fill them with the Holy Spirit so they would love and obey him. So, so they could be his people forever. Let me read to you one of the most famous promises about the new covenant. Uh, thanks, Steve. We've got it up here. Okay, from Jeremiah chapter 31. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbour or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they'll all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. That was God's promise. Some 600 years beforehand, before Jesus, there'd be a new covenant with forgiven, changed people. Thanks, Steve. And now Jesus is saying, it's here. The new covenant is here and the deal will be sealed with another sacrifice, not an animal sacrifice, but with the sacrifice of Jesus himself. That's what he's doing on the cross, shedding his blood to seal the new covenant. This is my blood of the covenant, says Jesus. Can you see what he's saying about his death there? 
Here is the way to a new relationship with God. Here is the way to have your sins forgiven, to be given the gift of the Holy Spirit and to enter an eternal relationship with God, to be transformed by God gradually here on earth and and fully when we reach the new heaven and earth. Jesus' death is the seal on the new covenant. Okay, stay with me. I told you it was all information. It's significant information though, isn't it? Okay, the fourth point. The fourth point is this. The way Jesus has taught his disciples here, it makes clear that they need to participate. Now, it's not like Jesus was an actor here and he had his disciples being the audience. He's, he's included them in the drama. He breaks bread, they eat it. He offers wine, they drink it. It's a vivid picture. Jesus is saying that his death is something that needs to be received, appropriated. You need to take it into yourself. Let me quote from the author John Stott because he puts it very nicely. The disciples were not just spectators of this drama of the cross. They were participants in it. They can hardly have failed to get the message. Just as it was not enough for the bread to be broken and the wine to be poured out, but they had to eat and drink, so it was not enough for him to die, but they had to appropriate the benefits of his death personally. The eating and drinking were, and still are, a vivid, acted parable of receiving Christ as our crucified Saviour by faith. Okay, do you get this point? Jesus' death requires something of you and me. We need to rely on it. We need to put our trust in Jesus' death. We need to, uh, we need to put Jesus' blood on our doorposts, so to speak. All right? we, need to, we need to sign on the, line of the, new, on the dotted line of the new covenant, so to speak. All right? Jesus has made many benefits available through his death, but to quote John Stott again, God does not impose his gifts on us willy-nilly. I wouldn't use that as my own words. That's why I use it as a quote. God does not impose his gifts on us willy-nilly. We have to receive them by faith. And that brings us to our final point. Now, this one comes out of the way that Mark has sandwiched the story of the Last Supper in between the stories of the failure of the disciples. Uh, we started off with Jesus saying one of them would, would betray him. We ended up with Jesus saying they're all going to desert him. Jesus shared his last supper with traitors and cowards. Jesus offered the bread and the wine to traitors and cowards. And the following day, Jesus would give his body and his blood for traitors and cowards. Jesus would go to the cross for traitors and cowards. And so here's the point. Jesus did not die for good people. Jesus did not die for worthy people. Jesus did not die for decent North Shore people. Jesus died for traitors and cowards. Now, in one sense, that's a terrible thing, isn't it? I mean, the the, the ingratitude, the... It's so awful that the very people that Jesus shared his last supper with would betray him and desert him. Terrible. And yet, in another sense, it's beautiful, isn't it? 
Uh, for people like me and people like you, this is great news, isn't it? Because people di uh, Jesus died for people like you and me. For the sort of weak, cowardly people who deny Jesus. For the sort of sinful people who betray him and disobey him and let him down day after day after day. We don't come to the death of Jesus as deserving people. We don't come to the death of Jesus as good people. We don't, Jesus didn't die for us to give us a pat on, a, on the back for, for what nice people we are. Jesus died to save us from the consequences of our betrayal and desertion of God. We come to the death of Jesus as undeserving sinners. All right, I'm sorry if it's been dense, but it's just too rich to leave anything out, isn't it? This is very, very rich teaching. It's a very significant event in the life of Jesus. Here we have it from the horse's mouth, so to speak. Here we have from Jesus himself what he thought his death meant. He thought his death was crucial to his mission. He thought his death was like the Passover lamb sacrificed, causing God's judgment to pass over us, setting us free from sin and, and, and taking us to the promised land. He thought his death was the seal on the new covenant, bringing us forgiveness, giving us the Holy Spirit, bringing us into eternal relationship with God. He thought his death was something we need to rely on, and he knew his death was for sinners. It is crucial stuff, isn't it? Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for the death of Jesus on the cross. We thank and praise you for the magnificent benefits that he has won for us, that your, death could, that, that your judgment could pass over us that we could be set free from sin and death and brought into, the, into your kingdom. Thank you for the way that it seals your covenant to forgive us and give us your spirit and make us your people forever. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you will help us to sincerely rely on the death of Jesus and only on the death of Jesus that we may be your people. And we pray, Heavenly Father, acknowledging that we are sinners before you, utterly undeserving of what Jesus has done. Our Father, please help us to stand firm trusting in Christ and to give you thanks and praise both now and forever. We pray in his name.